We'll get to the feeding of the 5,000 in just a minute, but something that stood out to me as I was meditating on these scriptures this week was, was Paul. How Paul opens up his reading in Eph- or his writing in Ephesians. He, he says to those he writes, to the people of Ephesus and even to us today, are you living in a manner worthy of the calling you have received? And as I reflect on myself, and maybe as you reflect on that for just a moment here, how many of us would boldly cry out, yes, yes I am, I'm living exactly in the manner of the calling I've received from God. I think most of us would struggle with that. Most of us struggle with doubt, or maybe even we compare ourselves to others. Maybe we compare ourselves to Paul, and we see that we could never live up to what Paul is doing or what Peter had done, though we like to give Peter a hard time. He did wonderful things for the kingdom. And so many others who have gone before us, maybe even those larger-than-life religious figures in our own time today, or maybe even members of this church, that you look at them and you say, I could never be as great as, and then fill in the blank. And so we don't even try. We expect others to live out a calling for our sake. And this is something that has happened throughout human history, and that even entire nations could be guilty of, including Israel. Israel, if you go back in time in Israel... They had this desire to to have a king rule over them. This is the time of Samuel, the great prophet. And they desire this king to rule over them as a nation because all the other nations had kings. And they say, well, we want a king like them because their kings go before them and fight battles for them and win. And Samuel warns them. He says, your king will not go and fight battles for you. He'll actually conscript your own sons to go fight battles for for him. And he'll take a 10% of all that you own for his own pleasure. He warns the Israelites and they refuse to listen. They demand a king and finally God says, give them a king. Give them what they want. Did it work? Did Israel all of a sudden figure out all their troubles and make it all work because they had a king? No. Look at Uriah. It didn't take long for the pain of the monarchy to to face the people. And so you have David. David does okay, but he wins a lot of wars and sheds a lot of blood. And then you have Solomon, who builds the temple, but even his reign, his ascendancy to the throne, is not without fighting and strife. And then after he dies, there's this There's this power struggle for the throne, and Israel splits between Israel and Judah. And then throughout the reign of the kings, there's death and idol worship and destruction. Now, why does this matter? The people of Israel are looking for another person, a king in this case, to live out their calling. And in doing so, they are rejecting God as king. God as king calls all of his subjects to live in that kingdom, to live in their calling, but Israel rejects that they want someone to fight the battle for them so they can sit back and be comfortable. Now Samuel does offer hope, and we see it played out occasionally. Samuel says if the people follow God and the king follow and trust in God and treat God as king instead of themselves, then it will go well with you. 
And there's very few examples like Hezekiah who when fighting the Assyrian army literally lays down the the letter of threat at the altar of God and says, you have promised to fight our battles. I can't win this. You have to. And that's exactly what the Lord does. He fights for his people. The very thing Israel wanted, God was already doing. But more often than not, the people of Israel fell to idol worship the worship of false gods. There's a famous line, maybe you've heard it before, it was written by a man named Lord Acton, who was a British historian and moralist, and he writes this. He says, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. Isn't that interesting? And so it was with the kingdom of Israel, and so it is with human history. Now fast forward to Jesus in the gospel reading today. And if you go right to the end, verse 15, what you see is that they wanted to make Jesus king. After all the failed kings of Israel, after Assyria came and wiped their armies out, and Babylon came through, and Persia comes through, and Greece, and now Rome, they want a king again. And they they try to go and make Jesus king. And why do they do that? Because Jesus gave them bread. Such a small thing, such a simple thing. Perhaps we could say that, that their desire for a king was, was so easily bought. But Jesus is before this crowd of 5,000 sitting in this field. And he has five loaves and two fish. And with those five loaves and he's, those two fish, Jesus feeds the entire crowd. And even afterwards has enough left over to fill 12 baskets full of leftover scraps. More than they could eat. And for those who were gathered there, who knew the scriptures, which most Israelites, they would be aware of the stories of the scripture, their mind must have went right back to Elisha. And the miracle we heard in 2 Kings 4 today where Elisha is given this offering from his servant, these 20 loaves of bread for him. And he says, go feed the people. Now we're not talking like giant loaves of bread. We're talking probably more like a pita bread you're talking about or a flat bread of some sort. Smaller. And, and we know this because even Elisha, when he says, give it to the people, the servant says, no, there's no way these 20 loaves could feed 100 people. That's five people to a loaf. There's no way that can work. Math isn't good. And Elisha says there's a promise that they shall, the Lord has promised that they shall eat and there will be leftovers. It's my kind of party. They will eat and there will be leftovers. And so the servant eventually does that and they eat and there are leftovers. This great miracle. Now, if you do the math, 20 loaves to 100 people, now think five loaves, two fish, two 5,000 people. It's impossible. It's absurd. But those who are there, who know their scriptures, who know what God has done in the past, now recognize, this is why they call him a prophet, that God has sent Jesus to be with his people. And so they want to make him king so that he can do their bidding before Rome. And how does Jesus respond to this offer of power that's unspoken? It says Jesus knew and he 
he withdraws. He, he goes to the mountaintop alone. He gets out of there. Now, this isn't the first time he is tempted with power and authority. This is the very thing Satan does when he offers all the kingdoms of the world to Jesus. How does that temptation begin? Turn these stones into bread. Just eat a little. How easily we are swayed by food. So Jesus withdraws from this temptation to be a king of this world. Because he's already a king of something greater, of all things. The whole creation. Now one thing I want to focus on in this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is the young boy. We talk about him, we mention him, we're like, good on him, and we move on. This young boy is fascinating because of the offering he makes. I think it would be fair to say that as we hear Paul's words, to live in a manner worthy of the calling you receive, the young boy did exactly that. He took what God had given him and offered it back to God. He didn't worry about providing for himself. And there's no reason he had the ability to realize what would happen next. But he gave of it anyways. Philip believes this is absurd. 200 denarii, 200 days wages is not enough to feed all these people. Let alone there's probably not enough bakers in town to feed all 5,000 right now. And Andrew even, he brings this boy and look, he's got five loaves and two fish, but what's that going to do? And so this boy lays down this small, small offering before the feet of Jesus. And Jesus takes it and he blesses it and he gives it. And out of this small gift, out of this small act of faith, Jesus turns it into an abundant and overflowing, generous gift for all those who are gathered. He provides food for the subjects, the people, the sons and daughters of his kingdom. And what's amazing, in this moment, he cares for the physical needs of his people. But, but Jesus didn't just come. And this is where John 6 goes and, and goes in the coming weeks. He doesn't just, just come to give them bread. He gives them himself the living bread from heaven, not just to care for physical needs, but to care for the whole person, body and soul, to feed us fully. And he gives generously and abundantly to us, but not just to us. He gives to all abundant and generous gift. The psalmist even laments this. Why does God give so generously to the wicked? Why is he so kind? Because they're all his children. They're all people of his kingdom. Even those who claim to be enemies of his kingdom, he generously and mercifully blesses, provides for, cares for. Jesus left back to the mountaintop because Jesus was not the king they wanted, but he was the king that they needed. Because he is the only king who does go out before the troops and fights the battle and wins against evil before the battle even began. It is not an even fight. He demolishes the evil one. While his heel may be struck, he crushes the head of evil. He destroys evil and gives to us his children new life. And he carried the weight of sin upon himself. He carried the burden of all the people of his kingdom upon himself and died for them. 
instead of sending them off to die for him. And he doesn't treat those of his kingdom like like slaves. He treats them like brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. And he cares for them and he, he pours out on them his inheritance. And he doesn't even demand that we give to him a tenth of all we've owned. He doesn't. But he calls us to trust him. To return to him all the gifts he's given us. Not that he needs it, but because he wants to bless it and multiply it. So that his name may be known. He is God. He is holy. He is other. He does not operate like man. He does not operate with our broken, sinful, selfish hearts. But instead does all that he was called to do to restore us into his holy graces. He is the only one to wield absolute power and not become corrupted. But to restore all that already was. And he calls us, even today, to believe, to truly believe, that when we, in just a moment, in the Lord's Prayer, pray, pray, give us this day our daily bread, that he does that. And not just bread, but all that we need. That we would hunger and thirst, not for the things of this world, but for him and him alone. And all of that was revealed because a boy gave five loaves and two fish. All of that. From such a small gift. What is your calling? What is your calling? You haven't been called to Paul's work or Peter's work or Martin Luther's work or or my work. You haven't. You've been called to the work God has given you. And our calls vary in so many ways. But the manner is the same. And this is what Paul is saying. It comes with humility. There was no room for that, that small boy to boast. Only credit could be given to Jesus. That we would do this with, with patience. Trusting God's timing. With gentleness. Bearing with one another in love. To preserve unity. And not cause division. So what's your calling? What do you have to offer? It's rarely much. But I think of all the gifts God has given me, and so many times I can tell myself, I don't have enough to offer to God. What could God do with this? He did a lot more with five loaves and two fish than I could ever imagine. Surely he can use my gifts. This is what we're even going to pray in a little bit, that we become a living sacrifice of praise, that our very lives become an offering that God could use it to proclaim his love into this world. And so I want to ask you to do something today. I'm giving you homework. I'm giving you homework. So take out something to write. Or take, I I give you permission, take out your phone if you want to make a note in your phone. That's fine. You can mark a spot on your calendar. Give you a minute. There's pew pencils if you need to write. And even if you want to use this, you could use this. Sometimes people say, Pastor, I'm sorry, I took this with me. I should have dropped it off. No, we don't want these back. We can't use them next week. They're dated. Take them home. So right on there. And what I want you to do this week is I want you to go on a retreat. If you're able to get away all week, enjoy that. But for most of us, we can't. 
So what I want you to do this week is I want you to take a 30-minute retreat sometime this week. 30 minutes. Go sit in a field or in a park, just like the 5,000. Or, or go on a walk. Sit out on the patio if you're able to. If you have a house that is able to have a quiet room, we don't know what those are anymore, but if you have a house with a quiet room, go lock yourself in a quiet room for 30 minutes. And I want you to listen to God. And it's going to be really hard. And it's going to be really frustrated. frustrating because most of us have so many things going on in our minds that we can't clear them. Do not get discouraged. Do not stop. Do not quit. Persevere through. You might for 30 minutes just have to deal with that clutter and purge that sludge. Do it. That alone would be a win. And I want you in this moment to ask yourself two questions. These are the two questions I want you to write down. Number one, ask God, God, what have you given me? Now, generically, you're all going to say everything. God gave me. Stop. Specifically, what has God given you to make an offering of? And number two, God, what have you called me to do? And you can only answer number two when you answer number one. Because then you can look back at that first question, what have you given me? And see how that can be used in the calling you have received from him. What have you given me, God, and what have you called me to do? Do that this week, please. We need to be in prayer. The Holy Spirit will work in your hearts and your minds. This is his promise. The one baptism Paul talks about, that we've all been washed and received his Holy Spirit, that we made a confession of faith, that we don't want evil as part of our life. We want Christ to feed us, to give us life eternal. And then what I want you to do is come back next week. Now, it's not a hard sell next week. Maybe in two weeks it's a harder sell. Come back next week and listen for God's voice in this place. Who knows what you might hear? Who knows how he might speak to you and what he might call you to do? We're going to have a, a great joy next week to celebrate someone who almost 40 years has been listening to that call of ministry and has tried to live it out for God's glory. And he's called each of us to something beautiful so that he can be glorified, not us, him, as king of all the universe. In the name of the Father and the Son,